What's up, everybody? Welcome back to TMT Time. I'm your host, Evan Rothstein. Today, we are taking a slight detour from the world of law and technology, and we are going to talk about how we communicate with each other and how we communicate with people differently. So for that conversation, I have brought in someone who I've come to know very well because she helps my wife and I with parenting and how I'm going to translate that to the workplace. And so welcome to the podcast, Eileen Devine. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. Eileen is the founder of Brain First Parenting, and she teaches parents how to communicate with their children, some of whom may be neurodiverse, and how to how to do that in a productive manner. And so I've brought her in here to help us learn how to communicate with each other in the workplace, which I think translates. So Eileen, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners briefly, and then we can get right into it. All right. Thank you so much. So yeah, I'm a therapist and a parent coach. I live in Portland, Oregon, but I work with parents globally all over the world. And if you ask the parents that I work with what I do, they probably would say, well, my child has behaviors that are frustrating or confusing or baffling or challenging at times. And I really need help learning how to parent them. Um, because things that I that I use for what society would consider my neurotypical children maybe aren't working so well for them. The way that I describe the work that I do is um, I support parents in learning how their child's unique brain works um, so that they can understand what their, their child might need differently from them than what we're kind of taught in traditional parenting circles. And so I support them in doing that, kind of getting up that steep learning curve, learning about the neuroscience behind it, the relational science behind it. And then um, ideally they're on their way, feeling more confident in their parenting role. So that's that's how I'd summarize what I do. And Eileen, you have helped uh, my wife and I tremendously in our parenting journey. Uh, but I thought that, you know, and I'm noticing that the lessons that that we're learning with you in terms of how to relate to our children um, who are different from each other, but also different from others, um, translates to the workplace. And as a leader in my law firm life and, and interacting with people that are mostly often lawyers who may think and act differently from the norm, hence all the lawyer jokes, uh, some of the teachings from you have helped me in the workplace. And so I thought it would be a great idea to maybe share some of your learning with our listeners here on TMT Time. So how do you think it it translates sort of the messages that you teach parents? How do you think it could work in a more traditional formal like business setting? Yeah, I, 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 I first want to say how much I appreciate that perspective, because that really is my ultimate goal is understanding that when we have kids who may be somewhere different than what society expects that expects them to be on that neurodiversity spectrum, um, that it's really about us having a very narrow definition of how people should act and behave and think. Um, and that science tells us, you know, we really need to expand that and not just apply it to these kids, but apply it to all the people that we come into contact with. So the things that I teach parents about their kids and the way that their unique brain works are not um, unique to just those, you know, type of children. They, it really is about um, looking at that whole neurodiversity spectrum and everybody falls somewhere different on it. And then understanding that what we see on the surface with people, the way they act 
um, the way they, um, you know, conduct themselves, I would say, is there's so much more to it than what we see on the surface. And if we are able to take a step back and be curious about what lies beneath that surface behavior, then we are not going to, we are going to um, be able to have so much more in terms of our introduction, our um, relationship with them, our interactions with them, um, in terms of a workplace, I mean, it's not very different than schools or home life. Um, the relationships will be more solid. There'll just be a greater sense of understanding there so that we can get whatever it is that we wanna get done in that environment. We can do it in a way that's more productive, that's um, based on understanding and empathy versus exerting, say, if you're in a power of control um, and a power a position of power, exerting our control and power to get things done, that that ultimately, over time deteriorates relationships and that foundation, if that foundation of relationship isn't there, um, then that um, the success of that, whatever it is, a family, a school, an organization like yours um, will crumble. So I appreciate that. One of the things that I, I heard you say and that I've taken away from you is this concept of leading with empathy. And, you know, in the workplace, we see on LinkedIn, we see CEOs all the time saying this a lot now, you have to lead with empathy uh, rather than what you're talking about, good control. Can you help us learn, like, what does that mean, leading with empathy? Yeah, yeah. So when I'm talking with parents about it, and that might be the best way for me to talk about it, and then we can see, um, I think for most of your listeners, it will probably easily translate then to the workplace, but we'll start there and then and then talk about any specific pieces to the workplace. So when we're talking about leading with empathy with our kids, it's about being curious about why they might be acting the way that they are, rather than jumping to assumptions. So instead of saying, I know for sure, we don't even say it to ourselves. It's our automatic assumption that behaviors, again, in our children are um, willful, they're intentional, they're done on purpose, they're done to us, right? Our child's lazy or just wants their way or they're being selfish or whatever it might be. When we know that all people, so our kids included, but every one of us is wired for connection. It's a biological imperative. And so none of us are exempt, exempt from that biological need. So if we can take a step back and say, well, hey, if our kids are acting this way and doing what appears to be everything that they can to create distance, to make us frustrated with them, not want to spend time with them, not want to be around with them, I wonder if it's about something different. If they're wired for connection, then we need to figure out like, well, what is this behavior about? It's a symptom of something else and get behind it so that we can then meet that need, that unmet need. There's always an unmet need and then have that connection be even stronger. And so when we look at um, the way to do that, the first step that we have to take is leading with empathy. Now that's really not natural to many of us. If something is, if someone has done something to offend us or something that we feel is not good or right or appropriate, our first initial response, especially if we are in a position of power is to say, hey, you need to stop that. You need to knock it off. That's not okay. We're gonna sit down and talk about that. Here's your consequence. Here's your punishment. This is how things are going to be now taken away from you, privileges, whatever it might be. Instead of doing that, it's taking a step back and saying, whew, maybe there's something else going on here. And if I lead with empathy, then I can more easily get behind it. So leading with empathy looks like understanding that in this case, your child would do better if they could. So that person in the workplace, whew. They're not doing so hot right now, but I believe that they would do better if they could. And so what might be preventing them from being the best employee, the best whatever it might be in this environment? If we can get a little bit of space between that like visceral reaction to reach for our power and use our authority 
versus taking that step back and saying, I wonder what's going on here and be curious about that. Then we will be able to support them in the way that allows them to be more successful and for us to be more productive, right? Again, whether it's in your home, in the workplace, whatever it might be. Now, why that's so difficult is because we do have that knee-jerk reaction. We live in a society where we're not taught to take that step back and think of the other person who's just offended us or annoyed us or frustrated us in some way. And so it takes practice to be able to do that. But once you can do that, what you'll start to see is that individual. So again, in the work that I do, that child starts to settle. And what that means is basically they're less challenging. We see less behavioral symptoms from them. So if you think about the workplace, same idea. If you have somebody that you're working with, who's always kind of in that agitated state or just not doing well in the workplace in one way or another, if you can lead with empathy and be curious about it and assume that they would do better if they could, that allows them to settle. They're, they're not on their heels. They're not as defensive. And then what that allows them to do is have their thinking brain come online. So what neuroscience research teaches us is that if we are in a state of overwhelm, anxiety, agitation of some kind, our thinking brain goes offline. It means we cannot access those cognitive skills that we need to be successful in our day, to navigate our day, to navigate the workplace, navigate home for our kids, to navigate school. And so if our thinking brain is always offline because we're always agitated, we're always getting in trouble, we're always being talked to, we're overwhelmed, we're anxious, then we cannot get the work done that we want to get done, right? So again, leading with empathy allows that person to settle, they feel understood, they feel more connected, their thinking brain is online, and then you can talk to them about, hey, how are things going? What's going on here or there? Is this a good fit for you? Can we talk more about what might be happening for you so that we can actually get to where the issue is? And so, and I appreciate that because that, that sort of tired lesson is how I have started approaching my teams here that I work with. And I've noticed, you know, we may have a, a team member and, and obviously in the law firm environment in which I work is it's very agitated and very stressful and very fast paced, um, as you would imagine. Uh, and some I've some people, you know, don't do well, you know, under the gun or on short time frames and they either lash out or they they quit. They don't want to do their best work. And I have found that in working with folks, really pausing, like you're saying, and, and thinking, what's causing this? Is there something else going on here? Am I not doing a good job making this person feel safe such that he can express ideas and we can do a, a better job for the client? When I pause and I think about that and I start thinking about sort of root causes rather than their, their visceral reaction to something that I may have said or someone else may have said, it's really helpful. And I've been noticing that it allows for growth from both sides, but also just better work, better engagement and, and more happiness, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the other thing that you're describing, I think, is this, um, it's not just an idea. I mean, again, the science, relational sciences, neurosciences support this, is that if we have somebody, say, in our workplace that's agitated and we're going at them saying, you need to work harder, you need to work faster, you need to do it my way based on how your unique brain works and they're getting increasingly agitated, it only adds to our agitation. That is a physiological response happening between two people. Um, it happens out of our control, whether we want it to or not, it's happening. So if you think about having, again, in my work, it's a family unit, 
but in your work, it's a team where people are in that agitated state all the time. Nobody's taking a step back to think like, Ooh, what's going on here? Like, I know this person wants to do good work and they would be doing good work if they can. So why can't they, if we go at it saying you need to do better, you need to go harder. You need to work faster. You need to do it my way. That's only going to add to the overall agitation of the team. And what happens then is that everyone's um, brain spends more time offline, just like I talked about it, right? And there's less productivity. So again, if you take that step back and have everybody be able to settle and understand that everyone is there on a, on a very different spot on that neurodiversity spectrum and understand where they are, what that exactly looks like. That's learning about you know, the brain and what it does for us and what it does differently for this person versus that person. Then it doesn't mean, oh, well, we just don't um, have any expectations for that individual. It means, okay, we have the expectations, but now we know how they're going to meet those. And it's going to look differently than this person over here. Yeah. And that's super helpful because obviously in, in again, my space, which is all lo mostly lawyers, uh, you know, everybody comes at a problem in a different manner, in a different way. And their diversity of background, which includes neurodiversity. Um, and I, I am, uh, heartened to see that that neurodiversity is also included in a lot of um, initiatives that are ongoing in our in our space uh, as well as others. But you you see people for where they are and what they can bring, and that neurodiversity adds to productivity and adds to better work product. And ultimately, in what I do, it's you know servicing the client and doing a good job and having people like this on your team, but having everyone understand they're in a place that they're accepted for whatever it is that they're bringing to the table, I think also helps them blossom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, what this work has taught me is, you know, I came into this work looking at kids who all of society would um, expect them to be neurodiverse in some way based on say their diagnosis or the way they behaved. So if you think of someone for example, someone with um, autism. Most people have encountered somebody with autism in their life. They understand that that is somebody who has neurodiversity and more or less what that might mean. Um, but what I've learned through doing this work is that that spectrum is much, much, much wider than any of us ever think about. And society's expectation of what is neurotypical is very, very narrow. And so if we can get away from that and understand that, again, everybody is somewhere different on that neurodiversity spectrum, and it doesn't mean then that they can't do the work. It just means they do the work differently than you do because your brains work differently. You have skills that maybe they're lagging behind in. They have skills that maybe you're lagging behind in. But if we, if we can open up our, the possibility to that, then we, um, as you said, we're going to have much um, more diverse perspectives, much richer conversations, and ultimately more productivity. So I'm going to go back to this leading with empathy concept. How have you seen that play out either in the people that you work with or like, you know, taking a viewpoint on society at large or like people that you work with or you encounter, where do you see it most often and, and how do you see it helping? Yeah. So I think one thing that I didn't expect when I was learning about this and then helping again, implementing it, my own parenting, but also helping other parents implement it is how much it changes you to lead with empathy with others. <laughs> so it, it not only, um, it, it causes less stress to our systems in order to, again, um, assume that there's something else going on, that this isn't a personal attack. They're not being, it's not being done on purpose to us. It instantly softens our approach and our viewpoint of what might be happening with all kinds of people that we come into contact with. 
what then it allows us to do with others is to have relationships that are actually built on a very solid foundation, even when things are difficult with that individual. And so if we can always start from that perspective of who this person would be doing well, if they can, I'm going to lead with curiosity, non-judgmental curiosity, and try to figure out what might be going on for them. Then you have that foundation in place, which is critical to any environment to have then the work or whatever it might be happening, reaching the goals from there. So you talked about safety and we talk a lot about psychological safety in workplaces and that kind of thing. But really, again, based on neuroscience research, we all have to have a feeling of safety in relationships in our environments in order for, again, our thinking brain to be online, to be able to do the work that we're there to do. And so if we're able to lead with empathy, have people know that that is the pattern. So this is another thing when I'm working with families, and the pattern for years has been the child acts out and the parents respond with force, whether it's with punishment, consequences, bribes, taking things away, lecturing, shaming, whatever it might be, that's a pattern. And the child is aware that that's the pattern and the parent um, um, is aware that that's the pattern. When the parent starts leading with empathy, again, asking like, oh, I can tell you're having a really hard time. I want to know more about that. How can I support you? I know that you wouldn't have done X, Y, and Z if you weren't having a hard time. And so how can we help that go better next time? The child needs to be convinced that that's the pattern, whether they're consciously thinking that or not. Every time the parent approaches them, the parent, the, the child's going to be in an agitated state because it's like, oh, I know what's happening. Dad always comes in with a hammer. Mom always comes in with a hammer. I'm going to get consequenced. I'm going to get shamed. I'm going to get yelled at, right? And so again, leading with empathy takes um, patience and practice and dedication to being consistent in that process. So again, thinking about the workplace, if you think like, man, this really resonates with me, this is something I want to begin doing in my position of leadership to know that if there has been a culture and a pattern of this, you do something wrong and the hammer comes out, that you as the leader are going to have to be consistent with that leaning with empathy, being curious about what's behind the behavior, what's happening, how can you support them differently before the folks that you are leading with empathy with who are on the receiving end of that are going to trust <laughs> that that's actually what's happening here, that that's going to be now the new culture, the new way of approaching problems and difficult conversations. That's a, that's a terrific point because I, I have noticed that sometimes when I first start working with people for the first time or second time and they react in ways that are, I'm not familiar with or in a manner that um, shows something else has gone on in the past with others that they've worked with. It's confusing to me because I want to say I'm, you know, demanding as as someone to work with, but I am also someone who is understanding and appreciates everything that you're doing. Why aren't you immediately working with me like I normally work with folks that I've worked with for a really long time. And then I have to pause and step back and do what you're saying, which is they may have been subjected to a pattern of behavior or pattern in the workplace that is not consistent with the way that I want to work. And then I, it takes an extra effort for me to sort of bring them in the fold with, okay, in this working environment, in this situation, you should feel comfortable and confident to express your ideas that they will be welcomed and that I'm not going to come with the hammer, as you say. They're so anxious to get their concern on the table, which I understand. It is just our human nature to say like, man, my kid did something that was really not okay by anyone's measure. <laughs> 
And I want them to know, I want them to know you can't be disrespectful like that. You can't act that way in public. You can't, whatever it might be. Um, and that is reasonable. And as a parent, you should be able to expect that. And also you're not going to get there in the most effective way possible. If you don't begin with leading with empathy, again, there's all kinds of reasons why, which we've, we've talked a little bit about already, but that is the, that is the starting point. Having parents practice that over and over and over again, until it starts to feel less awkward, more natural, um, more automatic so that they can then get to the point where they can express their concerns. Because when you do it in that order, and again, thinking about the workplace, I think it translates perfectly. When you do it in that order, then you're able to, in that conversation where you're getting your concerns on the table. So, and again, in a position of leadership in an organization, like, Hey, this work product isn't what I hoped it would be. You've already led with empathy. Their thinking brain is off on online. They, the temperature in the room is lowered because of it. Now you're getting your concerns on the table and you can talk about like, what can we do differently? Right? So it's not about saying to someone, well, I guess that's just the way you are. Can't hold you to any standards because <laughs> that's how your brain works, right? It's not about that. It's a saying, I need to get them to a place where we can actually have a productive conversation about, okay, so this, this still is the standard here. This is still what I expect. So let's work together to see how we might meet it based on how you work, how I work, um, that sort of, that sort of thing. This is this concept that you and I have talked about before that I will share with others called circling back, um, which is basically in the moment uh, you, you may be so triggered or you may be so emotional that you want to lash out, but then you want to do the teaching and the instructing and the helping right then. Uh, but it may actually be better because as you're saying, your thinking brain's off for to step back and then come back. And this is the circle back concept. Uh, talk about it later on when you may be able to be in a place where you can lead with empathy and you can have a recipient on the other end that is more welcoming of either whether it's criticism or, or constructive that or ideas to help move beyond it. So um, what I noticed is, is interesting in the workplace, something that I t talk with people about a lot that I work with um, in what I do is sometimes agitating and typically it's with opposing counsel, um, for me and, uh, you know, and, and you want to bang out a very angry, angry email. And it's so, almost like a knee jerk reaction to send a, a angry email back when you get an angry email coming towards you. And I, I borrowed this phrase from Herm Edwards, a football coach at ASU now. Um, but when he ran the rookie training program for the NFL, when he was a coach in the NFL, he used to give a lesson. This was in the early days of social media. And he would say, you can type out the message, but don't press send. And so I would, I have, since I heard that, you know, 10 so plus years ago, I have always told people that I work with, you can type it out, don't press send, back away from the keyboard, just don't press send. And I never understood, but that's almost like the concept of circling back which is just waiting for the moment. Yes. Yeah. Waiting for the moment and really evaluating whether this is the moment. <laughs> yeah. One of, one of the things that um, parents are worried about, and I imagine in the workplace, this could, this could be the case too, is that if I don't address it soon enough, that they're going to feel um, like it didn't matter. It didn't rise yeah. to that level of severity. 
they got away with it. Yeah. Absolutely. And so to really, to really try to push that, that thought aside, because that just simply isn't true. And to know that if you are still in an agitated state yourself, again, your nervous system then is in this heightened state, which is only going to agitate things further. The best use of your energy in that moment is to work on calming yourself down, <laughs> getting your nervous system to settle again, taking that step back and thinking, whew, okay, am I, am I ready to go into this conversation truly leading um, with empathy? Is that truly what I'm feeling like the intent here? And if not, if you're still saying, no, uh-uh, nope, I'm still angry. I'm still agitated. I'm still frustrated. Then it is not the time. And sometimes like with the parents I'm working with, I'm like, wait till the next day, give it two days, right? When you circle back, your energy will be so much better spent if you are in that more calm, regulated state, having that conversation than in that moment. Now, the other thing that I want to say um, is that people listening to this, and again, with parents that I work with, oftentimes it feels impossible to like really wrap their mind around interacting this way every time with their child who is so challenging at times, right? And, and that is no fault of their own. It's not some human flaw. It actually is them being very human. Most of us were raised in the, in the complete opposite way. We did something wrong. Our parents brought out the hammer, right? Um, they told us in that moment, Hey, you're going to sit down and you're not going anywhere till we talk about this or, Oh, you did that. Here's the consequence. Here's the punishment, whatever it might be. When we have kids whose thinking brains get offline very easily, or we're in an environment where things are already kind of in this heightened state of agitation, um, we need to be even more sensitive to that, right? And take this step back and, and do the piece of the circling back that you that you have described. Yeah, the, the, the constant state of agitation is a good description of, of a lot of law firms and a lot of, a lot of legal work. Never worked there myself, but. Yeah. It, it behooves us to really almost not not necessarily calm down but like holistically approach it and think about do i really want to send this email back uh in my instance to opposing counsel do i really want to react uh to a, a poor work product from a colleague right now or is the teaching moment later on um and and you know obviously most of us were raised when the you, you do something wrong consequence it's like action reaction and to break that chain and intervene there is hard. Um, it's hard, obviously, in the parenting context, because you always think your child, is this behavioral? Is that what's going on here? What's going on here? Um, or in the workplace where it's this person is continuing to do poor work or sh showing up late or not giving uh, his or her all. Um, but to get behind it and find out, you know, there's probably a reason for it. And there's probably an underlying reason. And this is just that concept of leading with empathy, really thinking to yourself, like, how do I connect and communicate with this other person? Right, right. And I would imagine that maybe even for some people listening, that that the way that you and I are talking about and describing sounds like a lot of it's labor intensive, right? Like, oh my goodness, that just sounds like it takes so much time. <laughs> and I get that the parents that I work with, many of them feel that way in the beginning too. But when, when we talk about, well, how have you been doing it up until this point? And how's that going? Like high tension, high agitation, your child is still super challenging. You're still challenged by them. The relationship is, is really deteriorating quickly. Like let's, let's give this a try. And in the end, 
every single time parents find that, yeah, the steep, the learning curve at first to like really switch the way that I react, switch the way that I respond to my child, um, does feel labor intensive, but we get so much more done in the way of relationships, in the way of settling those challenging behaviors in the way of being a family who isn't always in a state of crisis. Right. So again, translating that to the workplace, if folks are listening and thinking like, oh my gosh, that sounds just like, it would be so much easier for me to just come in and wield my hammer. Right. And say like, this, this wasn't a good work product, do it over, do it again. But what is that going to teach that person about what your expectations are, how they might go about getting it done in a way that works for them. Over time, you'll find that it is more productive. It's a much better use of your energy to take that step back, lead with empathy, circle back, right? Have those conversations that may not come naturally to us at first, but they can, you can get there um, so that you can figure out like what is really happening here with my team, with this employee, whatever it might be. Yeah, by, by all means, this is not easy work either on the the home front or in the workplace. It's it's in the workplace. It's really you have to just set the culture of of inclusivity and acceptance and helping others to be their you know do their best. Uh, and so one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on the podcast was one, you've obviously been tremendously helpful for my family, but I think it's also helped me at, at work um, because I do lead a lot of teams and, and I do participate on teams. And I notice that in those environments where I'm a participant, I do better and I thrive more when the person and people that I'm working around do lead with empathy and, and do get behind uh, what's going on and try to understand it to the best they can so that I can do my best work product. And I try and that flows down sideways up with everybody. I, I mean, obviously I try and do that. So I would be remiss to uh, not uh, say thank you on this podcast. Um, we appreciate it. And I hope that that others that are listening start at least thinking about these things. If not outright calling Eileen, you can look her up online at Eileen Devine. Um, uh, but you should think about it. And Eileen, at the end of all these podcasts, I do ask everyone to talk about something they do for fun. So what do you do for fun? What have you done lately? I know since you work with people all over the world, a lot of your time is like me spent on Zoom. Um, when you're not on Zoom doing video cameras and trying to help people with, with their challenging kiddos, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, so I am lucky to live in the Pacific Northwest. It is, of course, a beautiful playground here with the mountains and the beach. And I mean, 10 minute drive from my house, we have Forest Park that has hundreds of miles of wooded trails. And so I spend a lot of time in all three of those places, depending on the season, the weather. Um, I have a 13 year old and a 14 year old. And so I enjoy taking them with me on these adventures, um, my husband as well. And so we spend just a lot of time playing, playing outside. I am, uh, Eileen and I are both uh, heavy Peloton users. I had to bring this up and I'm uh, in DC where I don't live. And so I'm staying at a hotel and I made my hotel choice uh, on two things, three things actually, proximity to the office, cost, and do they have a Peloton bike? Uh, as you probably aren't surprised. And and the crazy thing is, and this is a message to Peloton, so if anyone from Peloton is listening to this, take note. If your bikes are in the, the fitness room, if you're a crazy Peloton user like I am, and you are actually ridiculous enough to want to do the Peloton when you're on the road, you're bringing your shoes with you. So I packed my shoes with me, and the clips on the bike in the hotel, and I won't, I won't out the hotel, but I've been in two of them on this trip. Both of them don't have the clip-ins. Oh, no. And so 
I got there and I didn't even know what to do. <laughs> I, I was like, I got the shoes and I can't, I have to, what? I have to wear my tennis shoes? Oh, my times are going to go off. And so now I, I spent this morning worrying about my uh, statistics, which is probably the uh, OCD thing of my own. <laughs> that sounds very stressful. I'm sorry that happened. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, Eileen, thank you so much for joining us here. I really appreciate it. This, this has been great. I hope people sort of take this to heart and learn. Look, they, they should call you uh, to help on the home front, but they should also take the messages that you said away. Um, you know, I work with a lot of very intelligent, very hard charging A-type personalities, but all of us are different um, in a number of ways. And neurodiverse is one of them. And if we just take a step back and recognize that and realize that and lead with empathy, we may get a better work product. So Eileen, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome.